Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running for Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan, I'm Alex Burr. And I'm joined by my co-host, Dylan Hughes. I don't think I ever say my name at the beginning of these pods. I need to start changing that because I need to, you know, I need to get my name out there. Um, Joined by my co-host, Dylan Hughes. Dylan, in the tradition of throwing curveballs, when you expect a fastball. So I was watching, you know, you told me about this Warriors-Grizzlies game before the show, like yesterday, I believe. And, you know, I'm watching that game and I'm like, I think John Morant is my favorite player to watch in the NBA. So Dylan... My question to you is, who has been your favorite player to watch in the NBA this year? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, Jaw is up there. And as an aside, we're probably going to like I'm going to have to force feed a Memphis conversation at some point in this pod because that game was amazing. And, you know, we're going to talk about the Golden State angle, but this Memphis team is on a 10 game win streak. They have surpassed Utah for the third seed. So that's uh, that's going to be a fun, really fun team to watch the rest of the season. But, man, I've really enjoyed DeMar. I, I think I've kind of always liked DeMar's game, especially since he went to San Antonio. I think he, he became a much better player in San Antonio because – like he tried becoming a three point shooter and he kind of stopped, but he became such a better passer. And I also think he's become a better defender as well. So you've kind of just seen him round out his game a little bit more. But, you know, the modern age of basketball is so like three point heavy. And I kind of like that DeMar has just rejected all that. He's like, listen, I. The, the 15 to 20 foot pull up, like that's my game, you know, or maybe more like 20 to 25 foot. That's my game. And I'm really good at it. And I'm probably better than pretty much anyone in the league at it, aside from maybe like Kevin Durant. And I mean, he's just, he's just so fun to watch. And he, he's going to, he's got to get some MVP buzz. He just has to. Right now, they're the first seed. We actually have the Bulls next week, Dylan. So that'll be real fun to do. Um, I think MVP certainly in the conversation with him. We'll see what, where they finish because I think that'll be the key to that discussion. Yeah. I mean, Katie to me, I, I just want to shout him out because that dude is just ridiculously fun to watch. Like he can get whatever shot he wants. And the only way you're stopping him is if he misses and nothing changed. And Steve Nash is playing him an incredible amount of minutes right now. I don't know why, <laughs> you know, why you're playing Katie. I don't know how many minutes he played in that San Antonio game. I don't know if you watched that one, but he played a lot and there's no reason for you to be playing that much, Kevin. Um, and beads always fun to watch Lamelo. Obviously we haven't seen the Hornets in a while. That's a team I want to watch again. I, I miss watching the Hornets so much. Um, obviously Siakam, the league has a lot of fun players right now. This this last stretch has kind of muddled it <laughs> for a lot of people, but we're, we're out of that stretch, Dylan. And I think the league is going to be, I think the league is going to get off like hot and running. They're going to be like really in a good space heading into the all-star break. Yeah. I think this was, this was my favorite week of watching basketball in a while. Like 
I've, I mean, we kind of touched on this last week, I think, but I just haven't been watching a ton of basketball outside of like what we have to watch for the pod. And, you know, I'm not going to act like I'm watching eight games a night or anything like that, but my interest has really gone up lately because the basketball's fun. I mean, I, I really think that Golden State Memphis game was, it was one of my two favorite games this season. It was that and then the Charlotte Knicks game from a couple months ago I talked about on the pod. It was such a fun game. And even though I hate the Knicks, it was just a fun back and forth. The crowd was into it. And the Memphis game was was kind of the same. Like I just love games like that where it's just down to the wire and you have two unbelievably, you know, connected teams, very talented, going back and forth. So I think we're gonna keep seeing that, you know, with with pretty much everyone back and healthy now. I mean, I think the basketball is just gonna get better. The basketball gods cursed us by placing Rudy Gobert in health and safety protocols the week we were supposed to have them. And not coincidentally, they've plummeted, not plummeted, they're fourth in the West now. And they've really struggled since Gobert has been out. But I, I want to see what it's like, you know, again, when we get to the trade deadline, which is less than a month away, <laughs> the trade deadline's on February 10th. And, you know, I think uh, this is an awkward transition, but we got to move on to, there's a trade that happened just today, Dylan. Cam Reddish was sent to your New York Knicks for Kevin Knox, a very, very heavily protected 2022 first round pick from the Charlotte Hornets. Solomon Hill also was sent to the Knicks for some reason. I, I, if I had to guess, it's to make salaries match since Kevin Knox was a 2018 first. And, you know, he like the fourth year options are more expensive than the third year options. That could be the only reason, which it's funny that you had a salary match for Kevin Knox. Um, <laughs> Dylan, I don't think either of us like this trade for the Hawks and just how, how are you feeling about this trade for the Hawks? Well, I will say first that I'm, I've talked about this a lot, but I've turned notifications off for NBA stuff because Bleacher Report just abused it, man. They just abuse their, their ability to inform us and they just shove LeBron James down our throat. So I had to get rid of those notifications. So I'm living in a world where I have no idea what's happening in basketball. And it's so it's a lot more fun because I get surprised and I received a text from you earlier about how the Knicks stole Cam. And I was like, yes, the the Cam Reddish was traded. Finally, something happened. And I went and go. I I went to our chat because I knew that someone would put that in there. I was like, all right, let's see what. Let's see who he got traded for. And it's a heavily protected first and Kevin Knox, who I think probably be better if the Hawks didn't get Kevin Knox back. And it's weird. It just feels like the Hawks were trying to get rid of Reddish for no reason. Like Reddish, you know, they're the Hawks have been, have been bad this year. Like we just talked about them, you know, they need to make some moves, but it seemed like putting Reddish with another player for an upgrade was what you do, but it's almost like they're hedging against having to pay him in a couple of years. Like it's just a weird move and it feels like it's salary motivated more than anything. Like it just doesn't make sense to make that move when your team sucks 
and you're not getting anything back that helps you right now. I agree with everything you said. Like it has to be, well, I, I'm not going to say hundred percent salary motivated. This team needed to free up shots, right? What were we talking about just two weeks ago? Right. Cause we had the Hawks two weeks ago at this point, or was that last week? <laughs> that was last week. Wasn't it? We were talking about how they have a shot distribution problem, right? Where everyone's taking 10 shots a game. This frees up 10 shots to be distributed, you know, between Herter, Bogdanovich, Hunter and Collins and Capella. Right. Those are five guys, but two extra shots a game, you know, will make people happier. I have to say it's dumb, but there was an um, athletic article released today. And I think I'm not going to read the whole thing, obviously, but this quote to me stood out from the, this sentence stood out from to me from the article. There was a sentiment from some inside the Hawks last season that replacing former head coach Lloyd Pierce, along with Reddish's unavailability due to an Achilles injury, were keys to the team's turnaround, which ended in an Eastern Conference Finals berth. So I, I have a theory, Dylan, and I, I think you'll like this one. And I told this to our friend Caleb earlier. I don't like to text you my theories because I like to save them for the pod. My theory is that Cam Reddish is this generation's Jamal Crawford, right? And what do I mean by that? He is really, really beloved by his fellow players and by the fans, right? Like this guy's a pure hooper. This guy's, you know, like he gets buckets. He does a lot of things to help you win, right? And NBA teams are all like, no, this guy's really not that good. <laughs> we keep trying to tell you this. And we think he's a net negative. So, yeah, it's not like in that regard, Dylan, I don't think it's a surprise that he got traded for essentially a bag of chips, Yeah, and there's been some negative reddish kind of energy lingering for years. I remember around draft time, and you know, this Duke team was packed full of talent. I mean, you had Zion Reddish and R.J. Barrett, and there was a lot of talk around this team. Everyone was watching them because they had three lottery picks. And a lot of smart draft people on Twitter kept being like, hey, guys, this guy is a terrible two-point shooter. And he, was, he wasn't that great in high school either at, at certain things. And it's kind of developing in college as well. And the first season or two in the NBA, it was the same. Like, he wasn't that good on offense. And, you know, last season in the playoffs, we kind of saw him start to explode. And this season, it's, it's carried over. And he's been the most consistent on offense that he's ever been. But the Hawks suck still. And... You know, you put him and Hunter together, and it's like, stats-wise, you probably are like, oh, yeah, Reddish is way better. But it just seems like the Hawks play much better when DeAndre Hunter has a bigger role. And, you know, you start to, to kind of look at that. It's like, huh, going back to college, maybe he was becoming overrated. Everyone loved the defense, so that's uh, that's – and we still do. And that's, I think, where a lot of the love comes from. But when you think you're really good on offense, and and you are, but you can be really good on offense and still think that you're better than you are. And I feel like maybe that's part of the problem where he wants the ball more and more because he keeps making shots. But you can be a good offensive player and still kind of alienate the rest of your team because of that. So, 
New York is is probably the best place for him to go to see how that works because the Knicks already were a disaster on offense. Like they compared to last year, especially, I mean, your best players are just not that efficient on offense. The fact that Alec Burks is someone that you heavily rely on for consistency is troubling. And we've talked about Alec Burks a lot. We both really like Alec Burks. He turned himself into a very good player, but if he's the, most consistent and reliable option on your team, you have a terrible team. And putting Reddish in that environment, I it very well could be a disaster. I still think for the value that they're getting, which at worst is going to be a late first, it, it's such an easy move for them to make because they suck too. Like them and then Hawks are in the same boat. It's not like they're really losing anything by making this move, but we definitely could look back in two or three years, but yeah, I understand why the Hawks got rid of him. So right now, um, the pick that it's the pick that New York sent, it's from Charlotte. It was top 18 protected right now. It currently would convey to the Hawks because the, the Hornets would be picking 20th. And listen, you know, you might, if you get the 20th pick for cam and it's a bust in New York, then that's great value. But the Knicks have like a lot of surplus draft capital and there. I can't believe the sentence is coming out of my mouth on public airwaves. This is a really smart move for them. This is a move where you can look at it and be like, okay, we have a guy in Cam Reddish who is, you know, a really valuable, <laughs> like he could be a really, he's shown a lot of potential in this league. And I think just taking a shot on a guy like that, Minnesota, Memphis paid that price almost for Jarrett Culver. <laughs> you know, like they got Cam for like a little more than what the Grizzlies got Jarrett or the Knicks got Cam for a little more than what the Grizzlies got for Jarrett Culver. You get what I'm trying to say. So I think that taking a shot like this as the Knicks is like one of the smartest things you can do. You know, that's like one of my principal team building philosophies. And especially with the way the Knicks have struggled this year, I really like it for them because even if it busts, you still have your first round pick. I believe the Knicks right now would be picking 12. So that's what it says on Tankathon right now. They have the 12th best odds. You know, it's hard for a team that's 12th to move up in the, even in the new lottery odds. I really want to see where, (laughs) where the, um, how the Knicks do with this, how they implement Cam, because if they can get Cam to buy back in on defense, he could be a terror with Tibbs. Now, I will say, um, cleaning the glass has this nifty little stat called assist to usage. Basically, you know, what's the ratio of how many assists you get compared to your usage? This year, Cam's assist to usage ratio is 0.36, which is good for the seventh percentile <laughs> cleaning the glass. And you, Dylan, if you know anything about the cleaning the glass percentiles, that's not good. For comparison, John Morant is at 0.96. <laughs> and John Morant has a much higher usage <laughs> than, <laughs> than Cam does. So I, uh, I hope he learns the pass. I hope he defends and I hope he passes. If he does one of those two things in New York, in addition to his scoring prowess or potential scoring prowess, then he's a player. But if he doesn't do either of those things, then I think we might have a problem. 
Yeah. I mean, the second team is always the best way, I think, to figure out if a guy's good or not. And, you know, the the famous uh, term coined by, I believe, Brian Windhorst, the second draft, you know, we see it pretty much every year where it's like, okay, this guy didn't work out here. He's a lottery pick. Let's go ahead and give him a shot. And, you know, the Knicks, the Knicks are – they like to do this. I think our favorite was Mario Hazonia, who, hey, man, I, I'm i going to eat my crow on that one because I thought anyone in Orlando gets the Orlando discount for me. Okay, we saw it with Victor Oladipo. We've seen it with other players, Aaron Gordon. They're in, they're in Orlando. They are maybe underwhelming they go to another team and they perform much better. And shockingly, Alfred Payton was not one of those players uh, just to throw that out there. But <clears throat> Mario Hazonia was not either. And, and I really thought Mario Hazonia had a, a chance of being a good player on a different team. And you could argue that he got worse actually. So that was a tough one, but you know, the second draft is always good. And Cam Reddish is a second draft player now. So we're going to see what happens uh, again. It's it's going to be interesting. I haven't watched the Knicks in a while because I've watched a lot of them early in the season. And it's just amazing that Obi Toppin has become my favorite player to watch on that team. I, I just don't get it. I, it says a lot, I think, about their team. And I like Obi Toppin. He's a good player. But for him to be my favorite player to watch says a lot. And my gut instinct is that Reddish is not going to change any of that. But, hey, you know, it's worth a shot. And from an asset management standpoint, I'll just say, I think Leon Rose has done a great job with asset management. Because what the Knicks of our childhood and teenagehood have done is blow their wad on someone that's past their prime. And Leon Rose came in and he's done the opposite. He's taken, he's taken singles and doubles and free agency. You know, he goes for the Todd Gibson's on short contracts. He's gotten Derek Rose. Like he gets good players on fair deals and just kind of, kind of kicks the can down the road until something opens up. And, you know, Julius Randle, you could argue was, was one that worked out. I mean, he was good for them last year. And I think they paid him a fair deal. Like that was a big test because they could have paid him the max and that would have been a disaster. But I think he got a fair deal for what he brings. And, you know, as the salary cap goes up, these deals become smaller and smaller. So it's, it is what it is, but I don't know. It's, I think it's a good move from an asset management standpoint and, and whether that conveys on the floor, we'll see, but either way, I think it's a good a good gamble to take. Okay, so the salary cap is projected to be 130 million or 126 million in 2024, 25. And Julius will be making 30 million. So he'll be making like less than a quarter <laughs> of the cap, which for an, a guy who made all NBA <laughs> in like last year, that's pretty good value. So even if it's like a bust, it's not going to be as bad as like Tobias Harris has been in Philly. That contract has been, that's, you know, but shout out to Leon Rose. He's been doing a really good job. I think the only injury worth discussing this week to, again, another not so great transition, but I'm not a professional, so don't sue me. 
Um, and the only injury we got to talk about this week is just that Dame Lillard had surgery on his midsection. It was he was dealing with an abdominal injury that apparently he's been dealing with for years now. So he's going to be out indefinitely. And if he misses six to eight weeks still, and that puts him like <laughs> eight weeks from now is the last month of the season. You know, the season's winding down. We're at game 60. And I, I, I'm just going to say it. I don't think Dame's coming back this year. I don't think there's any reason for them to bring him back. I think you got to submit your lottery odds, dump, you know, everyone on your team. And I think it's time for Portland to do like a mini blow up situation, even if Dame stays on the team. Yeah. I mean, this could end up being a blessing in disguise for them because it kind of forces their hand. Like you're, you're basically only good player at this point or only elite player is out. And Hey man, I'm not saying we need to put Damon Lillard under a lie detector here, but I mean, I would love to know if he actually gets that surgery or if he's just looking for some time off, but either way, uh, I mean, it's the perfect time to do it because they suck. And there's a, and Dame, I'm guessing, still wants out of there. Or he wants them to make a major move. And him not playing is really the only way to force that hand and see what happens. I mean, they've got to do something. They, they just got it. Like, they have a bunch of good players. I don't know exactly who is the best to get rid of. I mean... Obviously, McCollum makes the most sense, even though he's dealing with his stuff right now. But I don't know. That organization has just turned into a disaster very quickly. So this trade deadline is going to say a lot, I think, about their direction. It really will. Um, Covington and Nurkic, I believe, are on expiring contracts. So you have to imagine two of them leaving town. You know, anything you can get for those guys. I mean, the Raptors did this last year with the Blazers and they got Gary Trent Jr. out of it. So maybe, you know, maybe there's a team that coughs up like an intriguing young prospect or something. Or I, I think there's a lot of ways the Blazers can go. You know, I don't, I think Powell and Dame are the two safest bets to be like that aren't Little or Simons. I think those two guys, in addition to Powell and Dame, are the four most likely guys to be on the team again next year unless they do a complete and total teardown, which I don't think they're interested in doing because they're probably trying to sell the team <laughs> and having Damian Lillard makes the team easier to sell than not having Damian Lillard. But I have to imagine that they dump. I don't think CJ has gone this um, season. I would bet he's gone in the off season, but you never know. I mean, CJ has been there for, this is his ninth season now, I think. <laughs> At a certain point, you just have to change things up. So we'll see. Um, any other thoughts on Dane before we move on to our teams for this week? Get well soon, buddy. Get well soon, Dane. We hope to see you next year. Um, shout out to the Spurs for basically locking in their play-in spot. <laughs> and we'll talk more about them in a sec. But our teams for this week are the Warriors. We switched them with the Jazz, so the Jazz will, will be doing next week, hopefully. If Gobert misses another week, we might have to push him, switch him for another West team. Um, we'll, we'll see. We'll keep you posted on that audience. So our teams are the Warriors, the Celtics, and the Spurs. We will be talking about them in that order. That means we are starting with the Golden State Warriors. They are 30-10, and 10, good for second in the Western Conference. Their last week... They came into the week. Actually, no, they weren't on any kind of winning streak coming into the week. But 
the last um, last week they lost to the Pelicans 101 to 96 in a game where Steph or Draymond didn't play. Um, they beat the Cavs 96 to 82 in a game that wasn't remarkable except for the fact that the great the second greatest shooter of his generation came back. <laughs> And then they lost to our Grizzlies, 116-108. And, yeah, they're currently on a one-game losing streak. Draymond's not playing at the moment. And they're, like, right now, they're playing right now, and they're getting – they're being doubled up by the Bucks. <laughs> so I'm glad we didn't watch that one. Um, Dylan, I mean, the Warriors I, – I think there's no other place to start than Clay. How – what have you liked from Clay so far that's – maybe different like he's on it like a very strict minutes limit right now what have you liked from clay so far i mean the biggest thing i've noticed and, and i've seen some people on twitter talk about this as well that he's been attacking the rim a lot which has been surprising like i think he's testing he's testing his legs maybe a little bit and i mean that's a very good way to get your win back is to just every time you get the ball just rush the rim and he did, he's done that a lot. Like he's put up threes. Don't get me wrong. But like in this, in this Memphis game, he shot five threes and eight twos. I mean, he was very clearly making an effort to get to the rim. He was throwing down some good dunks. Like he was getting up there. It was fun to see because, you know, not to say that he's never done that, but it's it's going to be interesting this season to see if he makes that more of a habit where he's more of a on-the-ball threat because that opens up a lot of stuff. I mean, I think this team, compared to the last time he played, it's hard to say when they had Kevin Durant, but, like, I feel like this team is, is a little bit more dynamic off the ball, maybe. Like, I don't know if that's a hot take or not. But, like, as far as cutting. Because, like, Andrew Wiggins... I'm trying to think of a way to say this without, like, sounding stupid. Because we're talking about Andrew Wiggins versus Kevin Durant here. But, like, you know what you're getting with Kevin Durant, you know? Like, he doesn't have to run all over the floor to get a good shot. Andrew Wiggins is a lot more active in that regard. And I think that opens their offense up in a different way, not to say a better way than Kevin Durant did, but it's different. And if you have him and Clay do that, and you have, you know, the Gary uh, Payton minutes, like, I don't know. There's some, there's a lot of kind of interesting ball movement that's maybe a little bit different than we're used to seeing with this Golden State team uh, where, I don't know, like, yeah, you've got to worry about the three-point shot, but they're also seemingly going to attack the rim a lot. And I don't know. I, I think Steph over the years has become more interested in attacking the rim too than maybe he did earlier in his career. So it's interesting. It's going to be something worth watching because obviously they're still going to you know, try to get a bunch of good three-point shots up. And they have players that can put those shots up and make them. But they they seem a lot more interested in getting to the rim than maybe they have in the past. Yeah, so I don't have the past stats pulled up, but this year they're 12th in the league, according to Cleaning the Glass at shots at the rim per game, which is more than you feel like a Warriors team attacks the rim. They're also 29th 
in mid-range shots. I feel like adding Clay, because I, I felt like they, this team needs another shot creator, right? But I think Clay, the way he's looked in the first two games, might give them enough along with Wiggins where they don't need that extra shot creator because they were running stuff out of the post with Clay like they used to. That was probably the most fun part because I don't know the last time Clay got a post up. It certainly wasn't when Kevin Durant was there. It was probably when Harrison Barnes was still there, which was five years ago now. Actually, six years ago now. <laughs> it's been six years since that Harrison Barnes finals team. The one that lost 3-1 in the finals. I don't know why I'm calling it the Harrison Barnes team. But it's been a while since we've seen Clay. I mean, he hadn't played since 2018-19 season. That's three seasons ago. Actually, no, that's four seasons ago. <laughs> it shows how long it's been with Clay. But Clay is a superstar, so he gets afforded the, you know, he gets afforded the luxury of being able to sit for two years and then be welcomed back when he's at full health, right? Like if this was like Who's a random role player? Let's just do Juan Toscano Anderson. If Juan Toscano Anderson had the luck that Clay had, he's out of the league. Like, it, there's no question about it. But since it's Clay, he gets that benefit of the doubt and he gets to be stick around in the league, take his lumps, and then when he's ready to play, he can play again. So I I would be really curious to see how his legs hold up because you're right. He's attacking the rim with a fervor. And that dunk he had. <laughs> In the Cleveland game, he yammed it. It was like he dunked. I don't remember who he dunked on. It It was it wasn't on Allen because Allen would have probably blocked. Allen's such a great rim protector. I think he dunked it on either Mobley or Markkinen. It just wasn't a crazy good dunk. And you don't expect a guy who's coming back from two significant leg injuries to yam on somebody. That's just not something you expect. And if he has his legs like this, then they might be unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I had a, a little jaw drop when he threw that dunk down because it's like, I mean, what do you expect from a guy that missed two seasons with major leg injuries causing the, the absence, you know? You don't expect the guy to come out and beat guys off the dribble and throw down a dunk. Like, maybe LeBron will do that, but not Clay Thompson. So it was really fun to see. And he was putting up shots, man. Like every time he got the ball, he was, you could tell he's trying to work his way back here. And, you know, so far it's not looking great. Like win loss wise, what are they going to be one and two after tonight? But it's early on when clay gets back in the full rhythm and their team gets back in the full rhythm it's going to be scary, man. And I will say that Draymond's also out right now, so that's not helping. But uh, And I thought it was cool that Draymond did that in the Memphis game. Or was it Memphis or Cleveland? Where it was he, Cleveland. Yeah, where he just came out for the tip and then went off because Clay played hurt too in the finals. So he wanted to show his respect by at least standing in for the tip with that calf injury. So I thought that was cool for him to do. But, yeah, when, the, when they get back – in their rhythm as a team, it's, it's going to be scary, man. Like it's, it's really crazy to think that this team is even still a thing. This right. is, very, this is very unlikely in sports, but basketball, especially where player movement is just a part of the game. I mean, look at LeBron has played on three teams. He played on Cleveland twice. Kevin Durant's on his third team. 
Kyrie Irving is on his third team. Like these, these players, Harden's on his third team. Like it's just becoming common for player, like superstar players to move around. And I think basketball is fairly unique in that. I mean, you obviously see it in other sports too, but not as much, I would say. And this team, like we're going on what, year eight of this team? I mean, 2014 was when that first season began, I believe, when they won the first finals. Like this has gone a long time. Like this is starting to look like the Spurs a little bit. I I still think the Spurs – the Spurs and the Patriots are like the two most impressive dynasties to me because it was so spread out. Like the Lakers and the Bulls were in a more of a compact time frame. So like it made sense, you know, but the Spurs winning what five titles in 15 years, I thought was really impressive where it's not like they ever really reeled off like three in a row. Like they just, they spaced it out, which just points to how well or how good of an organization they are. And same for the Patriots. And obviously the Patriots did win, you know, a few in a row at certain times, but it was, I mean, what they won three, was it three in a row? And then they went on a huge drought and then they won three more. So, and that just shows, that just points to how good their organization is. And it's the same with Golden State. Like they've had a little drought the past few years and not to say they're ever going to win the finals again. Like we don't know, but the fact that this core is still together and they're still competing is really a cool thing to see. It really is. But I mean, it's cool, but we have to consider, we have to talk about them like they're title contenders, you know, Dylan, it's the halfway point of the season. They're 30 and 10. They have the second best record in the NBA. I mean, we got to talk about them like the way they deserve. And I think right now they're kind of underwhelming. I'm just going to be honest. They have the 14th. Do you realize they have the 14th best offense in the league right now? According to clean the glass. It's not surprising, but they do have, they have the best defense. They have the best defense. Yes. By a good margin. I, I pulled up the, um, I was looking through different years while you were talking because I wanted to see the last time they had this an offense this low that wasn't like you know the last couple of years. It was the 13-14 season. <laughs> That's how far back you have to go, which also they had like a weird team like this year, right? They coincidentally had Iggy and um Draymond and Clay and Steph. So, you know, kind of a lot of the similar faces, but it's been it's it's weird because Steph is such a supernova, right? But then you go down the roster, and so just looking at their scoring distribution right now, Steph's at 27 points a game. You know, really good stuff from him. But he's at his, like, in terms of seasons he's actually played, I don't count that 2019-20 season against his shooting percentages. This year is one of the lowest percentages he's shot from three in his life. <laughs> he shoot only, only in big quotation marks here, only shooting 38% from three. Um, it, Wiggins is averaging 18 points a game, 18.6 points a game. Pools at 17.2. The next closest guys, Damian Lee at 8.2, right? They have like a lot of guys that can chip in eight points, right? They don't have that other, and maybe Clay is this guy, like I was saying, but they don't have that other big bucket getter right now, right? Like someone who's going to make a dent in the box score just by his mere presence. And like they have a lot of like chip away, like a guys who will, like you were saying earlier, get the scores off the back cuts, right? Like Gary Payton, the second is an excellent example of that. 
he's going to get his, he's going to cut into the crease, you know, and Iggy's going to find him on the back cut, right? Or Bielitsa. They have a lot of really smart players on this team. I, I just don't, <laughs> I don't trust. I, like, am I crazy, Dylan, to say that the Suns might beat them in a series right now? Like, in six games? Because Steph's really great, but we saw the Grizzlies shut down just Steph last year. What are they going to do against the Suns? Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about because I think the Suns just top to bottom are, I would say they're the second best roster in the league behind Milwaukee, top to bottom. And obviously you have to throw the Nets in there under consideration, but I don't know. The Nets, I mean, Joe Harris being out has hurt this, but they're – their role players have not been as good this year as you would hope. Like Bruce Brown has been good. Patty Mills has been good. Nick Claxton, everyone else is maybe a little bit underwhelming. Like Aldridge was good early on, kind of fell off. Blake Griffin has not been good. So I would say the Suns are probably number two, top to bottom behind uh, Milwaukee. And that's why they got to the finals last year. Like, they they just have the ability to have a bunch of different guys step up at different times. But the reason Milwaukee won is because they had Giannis, right? It's because they had Chris Middleton. And as bad as Drew Holiday was on offense, he was amazing on defense. And that's kind of how I look at this Warriors team too. And not to say that the team full of awesome players like the Suns can't still win. But the top-end talent almost always wins, in basketball at least. And when we get to that point, when you have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson on the floor at the same time, I don't know. I have a tough time seeing them not win against a team like the Suns. If it was, you know, we've seen them beat LeBron by himself pretty much. But uh, I don't know. It's... I think there's a lot to be figured out with this team still. I mean, we're just getting Clay in, right? And if you consider Clay, Steph, and Andrew Wiggins as like your three best starters on offense, no disrespect to Draymond, obviously. Like, look at the bench, okay? Jordan Poole has been a starter his whole, the whole season. You have that guy on the bench now. Gary Payton the second has been just amazing off ball. I mean, he has quickly become one of my favorite players to watch. And that's merely because his type of player I love. I talk about these players all the time. I just said Bruce Brown's name. Like these off-ball guards that just get to the rim, I just love them. And it helps that Gary Payton II is an awesome dunker as well. But they have some upside on the bench that I think can develop more over the season and take on a team like Phoenix – and I still think the Clippers are going to be talked about once they get healthy. So right now they don't look like a contender, but I really think when we get to like April, May, it's going to be a different conversation, but I don't know. Like I'm not, I'm not ready to like, I'm not buying into the fact that they're kind of a middle tier offense right now. Cause there's still a lot of time. And there's still a lot of stuff they have to figure out. Like the Suns don't have anything to figure out. The Bucks don't have anything to figure out. Those teams are what they are. They're not going to – I mean, they may get a little bit better, but they are pretty much what they're going to be. 
And the Warriors are still mixing in a bunch of – they got to mix Clay back in. They're going to have to get Wiseman back in at some point. Like, there is just a lot – there's still a lot of upside, I think, on this team. So, right now, I think if, if the finals are – or if the, we, the West finals are played tonight, you know, the Suns are probably a better bet. But in three months, I think it's probably going to be the Warriors. So we agree, right? Like we let's just talk about the we can talk about the Grizzlies game as a microcosm of the Suns matchup. I think the Grizzlies and Suns roster makeup is pretty similar, just in terms of like their their stars, their players are around their stars, right? So Jackson and Aiton, obviously, I'd rather have Aiton right now, but Jackson playing the five is pretty lethal against the Warriors, right? The Grizzlies have Dylan Brooks; they could throw at Steph. They have Kyle Anderson. They have um, they have Desmond Bain. They have a lot of guys you can throw at Steph. And I think the Suns kind of have a similar model where they have a lot of guys you can throw at Steph. And that's why you, I think inserting clay into that equation makes it easier, makes life easier for the uh, other players. Right. But I, I just, I think that there's a model to beat the warriors and that's having a lot of switchy wings alongside guys that can get to the paint at will. I mean, to the Suns' detriment, they don't get to the paint at will. Like, they're not Ja. (laughs) But the Suns have two incredible bucket getters who can get a shot, whatever shot they want, whenever they want it. So, I I don't know. I think it's, it's tough because the Warriors, to me, I think they could win two games off the strength of their defense alone. But at a certain point, what do you always say? The game is about scoring points. And I just don't know if they have enough point getters like Wiggins. So I pulled up the box score from the, um, the play in game last year. So ironically, not ironically, the three top leading scorers for the Warriors and the, the one they lost to the Grizzlies. So Steph with 39 Wiggins with 22 on 22 shots and pool with a pretty efficient 19, right? You can get that from your guys, but then if you have, I don't know, Dylan, am I crazy for thinking they might struggle to score against some of the best defenses in the league? I mean, you're definitely not crazy. And like this Memphis game, I think was, was interesting because I mean, this is more of a defense thing, but I think you bring up Aiden is kind of a good point. Did you notice how easy it was for Brandon Clark to score in that game? Mm-hmm. And again, Draymond was out. That is a huge thing to note. But let's not act like Kevon Looney's not a great defensive center, or at least very good. I mean, they have they have had a lot of success with Kevon Looney. So this is not like he's some, you know, middle-tier guy that they're just throwing out there. I mean, I guess if you compare him to other centers, he is. But he's worked very well for what they do. And as you mentioned, well, you mentioned you were mentioning Jaron Jackson more on defense. By the way, three blocks and three steals for our boy. Good for him. But Brandon Clark was eating on offense, and they were just – I mean, Ja was getting to the rim pretty easily at points, which is not shocking, but it's going to be important for them if they want to beat them in the playoffs is you got to stop Ja. As we saw last year, they couldn't do that either. So, you know, it's – that's the thing that's interesting is as good as their defense is – you still have to score points to keep up. You can't stop 
just because you have the best defense in the league doesn't mean that you can stop the Memphis Grizzlies from putting up 120. You know, they're just that good. And if you don't have the points to keep up, which they didn't in this past game, and again, it's just a random regular season game, but it's something to keep an eye on. I still think that it's the bench is going to be fine, at least from from now the way I'm looking at it. Because again, I think I think Jordan Poole off the bench is going to be really good. Like he he's just been so good this year, and kind of letting him run his own show. I think it's going to be fun to watch. But you know, there there isn't a ton outside of him that's that's great for shot creation. And by the way, I want to give a shout out to the Memphis fans for booing Andre Iguodala every time he touched the ball. I love that because I hated how Andre Iguodala handled that situation. So I, I loved seeing that. And he was terrible in that game, so it worked out. But th- there's just not a ton. Like, you kind of need Steph on the floor at all times, it feels like, especially if you're looking at the playoffs. So... It's definitely a worthwhile concern, and the optimistic side of me says they're going to figure it out, but right now it's definitely worth worth being worried about. And that's why you keep all these young guys around. You know, you, you could trade for a possible someone who could create their own shot. Hell, I think, you know, I brought this guy up to you before the show. Like, if you could slide a Tobias Harris in there, someone who can just, like, Tobias Harris is okay at creating a shot, which is something that they need. And then you have Wiggins to cover for him on the wing. You have your hierarchy could be, you know, Curry, then Harris, then Curry, then Thompson, then Harris. And if Harris is your third guy, but he's the one actually creating shots for you, I think you're in a really good spot. But just someone like of that caliber, even like, hell, Jamie Grant would be really good for this team. So he's not the guy he was at the beginning of last year in Detroit, but he could be somewhere between that and what he was in the playoffs for Denver. I know they're in a really interesting spot. I don't know if they're going to make a trade at the deadline. I don't even know if they have to, but we'll we'll see on that front. But Dylan, do you have any other Warriors thoughts you need to get out before we move on to probably our least favorite team this season? Uh, I mean, I'm just happy to see Otto Porter thriving. Like, I just, I've always liked him. I really liked him in Washington. And he got paid a little bit too much. Yes, we all know. But you can blame Washington's front office for that. And I'm just happy to see it working out for him. Because after the Chicago stint, I kind of thought it was over. He's looked really good, man. At least in the – and I'm not going to act like I've watched every Warriors game this year. But every time I watch, he puts up buckets. So, I'm happy to see him knocking down shots. It's what he's always done well. And he's just been really good for that bench. And, I mean, this bench is just full of guys we love. Bielitsa, Porter, guys we've loved for a long time. Gary Payton Jr. is a new addition to our love list, but he's there. And, um, you know, maybe maybe Moody will join the club eventually, hopefully. I'd like to see them get more from Kaminga. Not more, yeah. but I'd like to see him play more. They're doing a good job of, you know, sending him between the pro, like the big leagues and the G League. But I, I think he can contribute something. Um, I, I will say this team needs to mix in some mid-range shots shots Steph is too good in between I thought what made Steph special last year was he hit that I think he last year he had the perfect balance between threes and twos this year 65% of his shots 
doing conservative math are threes. Wait, that's too much. Like you're Steph Curry. You can kill in the mid range. You should be taking more than, you know, seven and a half twos a game. I mean, Dylan, you agree that ratio is not where it should be. 13 to 7.5. It should probably be like, you know, if you even want to say like, oh, he should be taking as many threes as possible, then like 11 to nine, right? Something like that. He needs to attack the basket more. And I know he's drawing a lot of attention because he's the number one, like he's the epicenter of the Warriors world right now. But I, I just, I can't help but think Dylan that they just need to get him more shots at the basket. Yeah. I mean, it's always worked out for it, for him to play like this because when you really think about it, they have used Steph as like an upside play. He, this is a, such a unique team where it really is such a balanced effort that you're okay with Steph scoring 15 one night because you have so much from these other guys that make up for it. Whereas if you have a game and LeBron has 15, they're fucked. If Kevin Durant has 15 points, their team is not winning. But the Warriors have been like the one team I've seen where you can have your best player slack off a little bit and still have a really, the team is really performs really well. And now we've seen over the past couple of seasons where Steph has been like their only option on offense because Clay's been out and they lost KD where he's had to play a little bit differently. And, you know, we saw last year what happened with Trey young when he kind of, abandoned the crazy three-point shooting he started getting inside the arc more often they made the freaking conference finals and i really think you know this season hasn't translated as much but i really think you have to take advantage of your gravity and use it in the opposite way where instead of pulling you know guys out and opening things up for other players you open up for yourself you know beat beat a guy off the dribble and and get to the mid-range and put up a shot like He's going to make them. It's not like he's only a good three-point shooter. He's good at shooting everything. So I definitely think he should balance that out a little bit more because it's going to make stuff easier for everyone. And, you know, maybe you get to the playoffs and and Steph becomes that upside guy again where if he scores 15, that's fine. But if he scores 45 because he knocked down 10 threes, you're easily winning. But for now, you know, while they're trying to figure things out and their offense isn't as good, I definitely think mixing it up a little bit more uh, would be beneficial. I think that trade point is a real, like, I, I think that's this is where I'm going to close it off. I'll move on to the Celtics after I finish this statement, but that trade comparison is a really good one because Trey this year is at like 47% of his shots are from the mid range as opposed to 20% of Steph's shots, which is the ninth percentile for players at the point guard position. And it just needs to be higher because you create so much space for yourself by, and they're hard trapping him, right? I'm not going to act like his shots have been easy this year. The fact that he's averaging 27 points a game is honestly ridiculous. (laughs) And another case for why he's, you know, one of probably the 15 best players ever, but you can mix it up a little. This he's, 
I'm not saying he's James Harden, but this is kind of like 2019 Rockets, right? When they had, you know, their the Rockets offense was a lot better, but Harden never took a mid-range jumper. And then in the playoffs, what happened? He got stopped because he never took mid-range jumpers. Steve Kerr, listen to me. You just need to implement a couple more mid-range jumpers. It's not that big of a deal, you know? The mid-range is a valuable place, especially when you have Steph fucking Curry. Okay, now on to our least favorite team in the league, the Boston Celtics. Um, they are 21-21, and 21, good for 10th in the Eastern Conference. Their last week, um, they came into the week on a two-game winning streak. They lost to the Spurs, 97-99. to 99. I'm only including that game because I know that's technically more than a week, but they played our team, so I wanted to include that. Um, they lost to the Knicks 108-105 in a game they absolutely fucking choked. They then beat the Knicks 99-75, to and they um, beat your Pacers twice in a row, 101-98 to in overtime, and then 119-100. to You said you watched one of those two games. I couldn't bring myself to watch Pacers-Celtics. I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to watch that shit. Um, Dylan, just what are your problems with the Boston Celtics right now? Well, let me just say, Pacers Celtics or Pacers or uh, yeah or Celtics Knicks is like just it's like if you have a gun to my head just shoot me this is this is a no win situation (laughs) there's no upside in life if I have to pick between those so just shoot me but you know because I'm a Pacers fan I I chose the Pacers and you know this is a game that Boston won by 19 points the one that was on last night okay and let me read you the top three players on the Celtics, okay? You've got Jason Tatum, 33 points. Very good for him. Jalen Brown, 34. One up in the, the teammate there a little bit. Then you've got Dennis Schroeder, a very efficient 23 points on 11 shots. The next best player, Al Horford, eight points. This team is so fucking concentrated at the top. It is horrible to watch, Okay. This this Celtics Spurs game, and thank you to the basketball gods for finally starting to give us some crossover games where we can actually watch two of our teams in the same week. Because I swear, for the first, let's see, how many weeks was the first round with that 10 weeks? Out of the first 10 weeks, I think it took us to like week eight to finally get a crossover game. So I'm really happy these are starting to happen. But You know, we're going to talk about the Spurs, but, you know, Keldon Johnson, 13 points, Derek White, 17, uh, Murray, 22, Vassell, 17. Like, they had a fairly balanced attack, and they only scored 99 points. So, and then Boston, Tatum and Brown basically were the two best, and Smart and Schroeder had good games too. But it's like, it's just, it's just like a bunch of isolation for Tatum and Brown. And, you know, if Dennis Schroeder's feeling like it, maybe he'll get in the mix. But everyone else just does nothing, it feels like. I mean, Josh Richardson continues to disappoint. I I just, I'm really sad that he has not worked out more than I hope, but he just doesn't do that much. You know, Marcus Smart just misses games. I, I never know why he's out, but he's out every once in a while. Horford, I mean, we knew Horford was washed up. Like, he's still a good passer, but, like, he's just not going to do much on offense. Like, there's just – outside of Tatum and Brown, there's just not much to care about. So, the defense just focuses on that. And that Spurs game in particular – and the Spurs have a bunch of really good defensive players, so it's not shocking that they played the Celtics this way. But 
I mean, they were making life really hard on the Celtics. Like they, they were almost not even allowing them to pass the ball. Like there was very little ball movement. Maybe the Celtics were just choosing not to pass because no one was getting open. But I was going to say, I think it might be that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just embarrassing. And like Aaron Neesmith is like in the G League now. Like what the hell is going on? It's a disaster in Boston this year. And I, I, I don't use that word lightly. Dylan, I think we agree coming into the offseason. I don't remember where you had them in your ceiling slash floor. I don't think I had them being at 10th in their floor. I think I might have had them at like seven. I think I might have had them like as the like at worst the seventh seed. I thought they could have made the three seed. I was I was more wrong about Atlanta, I'll say. But I was about as wrong on Boston as I was on any other team not named Atlanta. Like <laughs> this team has no point guard. And it's starting to catch up with them. They don't have anyone to get them into their sets. And I don't even know what a point guard would, what good a point guard would do this team because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, they're still young, but they're at a point now where it's like, okay, you should be mature enough now where you're actually passing the damn ball. <laughs> this yeah. is year. What year is this for Jalen Brown? This is year five for Jalen Brown. That can't be right. They, this is year five for Jalen Brown year four for Tatum. I think that's probably the, I think it might be year six for Tatum. I don't know. The 2017 draft. Okay. Five seasons. This is Jason Tatum's fifth season. Jalen Brown's sixth. They're at the point now where they should start like, you know, realizing, okay, Hey, you know, if we pass, maybe our teammates will get better. And if they don't start passing, I think it's time for us to come to the realization that neither of these guys, I think Brown might've peaked. And I think Tatum might be pretty close to peaking. Like the only way they can get better at this point is they're passing. They're literally, amazing basketball players aside from their passing. But if you can't make anyone better, then you have a ceiling to your game. And I think they've hit that ceiling. Tatum is shooting 33% from three on eight attempts. <laughs> I did not realize how bad it was. That man has never met a side set three. He doesn't love. I, I have a solution, Dylan. I, I'll be curious to see what you think about this. I've been stewing on it. I think the solution is on San Antonio's roster. I think they should trade Marcus Smart for Derek White because it's clear something's not clicking there with Marcus Smart anymore. It's clear he's not the guy like, you know, he's been there for this is his eighth year there. They're probably tuning him out at this point. Right. Even though he's been the longest tenured guy in Boston. I think I think his time there is done. I think you just need to face the facts and I think you need to make a switch. And Derek White's just right there. Right. Derek White is someone who could really help you get into your sets. He's not, he's, we'll talk about the Spurs more in a little bit, but he's not the guy there, <laughs> right? He's not the point guard. It's DeJounte. DeJounte is going to be the high usage guy. I just don't think Dylan, that Marcus smart, like he's not a point guard. He's a two who can run some offense for you. And like, he's kind of like a hybrid, you know, starting shooting guard slash backup point guard where he can run some offense for you off the bench, but he's, I don't want him running my offense. I don't think a Marcus Smart run offense is a good offense. I, I don't know, Dylan. And like, I just think this team isn't such like the most glaring need of a point guard of any team in the league. Yeah. I mean, that's very clearly the issue. And like a lot of people have been talking lately about breaking Tatum and Brown up. And I, I thought it's dumb, but after watching them, it's like, gosh, like obviously they're two of the most talented, like young players in the league. But, man, 
they don't really cover each other's deficiencies. And I think that is the biggest problem. Like they're both kind of good at the exact same things. And in theory, that's great. Cause it's like, imagine, you know, how hard it is to stop those two guys, but it's a lot easier to stop those two guys when you don't have to stop literally anyone else. I mean, there is like Dennis Schroeder. I'm not going to act like he sucks or anything, but he's just very clearly not a solution. He's never really been like a pass first guy anyway. And we maybe should have thought about that more in the pre the preview for this team that like we, you know, we kept saying, Oh, Dennis Schroeder was a great pickup because he was so cheap. And they kind of just got him on the bargain bin or whatever it's called. And we didn't really think about the fact that he's like never been. Uh, like not to say he's a passer, but he's a guy that likes to score. He always has been. And I think in Oklahoma City, the reason that he kind of became a lot better was more of his shooting than anything. He became a much better shooter in Oklahoma City. And that's why the Lakers traded for him. And you know, maybe that's the reason why he wasn't picked up this offseason before Boston got him is because there's just a lot of players in the league that do what he does well. Like, he's not a super unique point guard, and he definitely doesn't create any uh, solutions for, for Boston's passing issue. And I'm looking at the uh, – I was looking at the wrong category. I thought it said they had six assists against the Pacers last night, but that was, that was steals. Um, so like Tatum and Brown rarely ever get over 10 assists in a game together. It's always like seven or six or eight, you know, it's like getting four assists. If you're playing 30 plus minutes, like pretty much anyone can do that. Especially, especially if you're handling the ball a lot. So it's just, it's just really bad. And we haven't even brought up the points that we talked about last time with Boston is that they're too small. Like we both love Robert Williams and Al Horford, but they're still too small. So if they even get to the playoffs, it's like good luck guarding Embiid or Giannis. Like that's a whole another problem too. So there's just glaring hole after glaring hole starting to open and open up. And, you know, someone like Derek, Derek White's interesting, but I feel like, they probably are two or three moves away to getting back to where they were a few years ago. This is like when a dam's leaking and, you know, it's like a giant tidal wave, right? And, you know, like at first, you know, there's just little holes that are starting to plug. So you're like, okay, I'll stick my, my finger. Like, you know, I'll, I'll plug my finger in there see if that stops the leak. Oh no, there's another one. Okay. Eventually you run out of fingers. And it seems like that's what's going on with the Celtics. Like they just have so many different areas where they need help and they whiffed on so many draft picks that could have helped them. Like they traded away Matisse Tybel. They didn't draft Brandon Clark. <laughs> like, could you imagine how useful Brandon Clark would be on this team right now? And yeah, like, okay, the draft is pretty random, right? But we've seen the Grizzlies turn their team around. Like I, we're going to keep talking about the Grizzlies, but the Grizzlies turned their team around, not just because of job. They turned it around because they managed it really well. And a lot of that's on Danny Ainge, right? But now Brad's here and he, the off season was strange to say the very least, <laughs> right? Bringing back Al Horford, um, bringing in Josh Richardson, who 
is sneakily shooting 40% from three, which was, I am not going to look, but it's definitely a career high. Um, Langford isn't playing poorly for them, but this team just doesn't make sense. And it hasn't made sense since they made the conference finals. And I think losing Gordon Hayward is probably the worst thing that ever happened to this team. And not getting anything back for Gordon Hayward, right? Because they got back that trade exception, which they eventually used on Fournier and Richardson. And neither of those Fournier cooked them. You just said you didn't watch that. Did you watch the 108 105 Knicks game by chance? No, <laughs> no, I don't. I can't say I blame you, but that game was fun because Fournier was just eating them for lunch. Like in Fournier is averaging like 30 points a game against the Celtics this year and like 10 points a game against everyone else. It's honestly one of the funniest stats I've seen in a while. Um, they didn't use that trade exception well. I mean, Robert Williams was a steal at 27. That's about the only one you can say they had over the last couple of years. I didn't even bring up the obvious one when I was talking about the Grizzlies. They traded the pick that was Desmond Bain. That was their pick <laughs> that they traded to the Grizzlies for Desmond Bain. So they've had a lot of opportunities and they have like no depth to show for it, right? Like Peyton Pritchard is fine as like a backup point guard, but I don't want him. The most minutes I want him playing a game is 18. I don't want him playing more than half the game. I just don't. And then I think Brad's got a, he's got, has to do something. This can't stand. They're way too talented to be 21 and 21. I think they have to make some kind of move at the deadline. Yeah. I mean, you would think like the off season they had was just, it was just patchwork. Like it just, it just didn't do anything. I mean, trading Kemba for Horford, like how is that going to change anything for you? You know, and, and Kemba wasn't good for them, but I don't know. I mean, on the face, maybe Horford having a better impact, but it's very marginal. And Schroeder and Richardson, fine players, but like, come on, you know, these are not solving major problems. So you would think, I mean, Marcus Smart makes sense as like someone that, that could be flipped. Whether San Antonio makes sense, I don't know, because as we've talked about early on in the season, and maybe we'll talk about next that they have an overabundance of guards already. And I think swapping guards with another team doesn't really change that, especially swapping a young guard for an older guard. I I don't know if San Antonio would be interested in that, but who knows? So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I definitely don't think any huge trades are going to happen. Like I don't think, Tatum and Brown are being broken up or anything like that, but they've definitely got to get a better solution for, for just ball movement in general. Cause right now it's just, it's terrible to watch and it's not helping them win games. I don't normally resort to hot takery on this podcast, but I, I think I'm going to say it. They just got to break them up. It's not going to work. Like I understand, you know, you want two wings who can, you know, do stuff together, but Okay, so a lot of times this duo has been compared to like PG and Kawhi, right? And I think I've been an offender of this. Like I've done that before. But the difference between them and Jason and Jalen is that those guys have been in the league each. When they got to Los Angeles, they were both about to be 10-year vets. 
<laughs> right? I think Paul George, that was going to be his 10th year and Kawhi, that was going to be his ninth season. So those guys have a lot more experience. They're a lot more prone to moving the ball than either of these two are. And like, you know, passing doesn't always equate to assist, right? Like being able to make the right pass is a NBA skill in and of itself. And I just don't think either of these guys have played long enough to have it. And I, who's to say they ever will have it, but with experience, you gain that, you know, IQ to make the right pass. I just don't think either of them have it yet. And I don't, I think it's wasting everyone's time to have both of these guys in the same place, just wasting, languishing away like this when they could be learning on their own teams. I, I know this is probably, it's probably too hot of a take, but it's just, just, that's just how I feel. I mean, it feels like it's going to get to that point anyway. Definitely an off-season trade, <laughs> yes. I would say. It's a lot easier to do that way. Um, but, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if we're here in six months or whatever, seven months, and one of them's gone because we've already heard some rumors about Jalen Brown this year. And I don't know. It It's, it's probably about time because – if you really look back on this kind of duo and their time together, it's really only gotten worse. Like they were making the conference finals when they had Kyrie and Terry Rozier and even Kemba. And now they don't have any of those guys and they're not even going to be close to the conference finals. So those two players are getting better, but the situation is getting worse. So it definitely feels like, we're getting closer and closer to there just being a massive trade to split them up. And every team has its expiration point. And I think, you know, we talk, I talk about this all the time with Damon CJ. I think I brought it up on every single pod, like the last three pods, you know, they've been together for seven years now. And like, they've been starting together in Portland since 2015, <laughs> you know, at a certain point that's just got to stop. So, I think that might have already come with Jason and Jalen, which is crazy to say, because we're only in year five of that. But, you know, they need their own teams. They're getting older. And I think that everyone will be happier once those two are split up. But any last thoughts about the Celtics, Dylan, before we move on to the Spurs? No, sir. Okay. Did you mean no spur? That was such a bad one. I'm so sorry. Um <laughs> The Spurs are currently 15 and 26. Good for 12th in the West. I thought they were in the 10th seed. I could not be more mistaken. Their last week has not gone well. Um, They got hit by health and safety protocols, though, in a bad way, I'll say. But even their last 10 has been disastrous. <laughs> um, they a lot beat of blood the Celtics. Yes, a lot of blood. But a lot of, like, close losses, too. They beat the Celtics 99 to 97. Um. They beat the Sixers. They lost to the Sixers 119 to 100. They lost to the Nets 121 to 119 in overtime. They lost to the Knicks 111 to 96. And then last night they lost to the Rockets 128 to 124. So they sandwiched a win around two four game losing streaks. Um, Dylan, this team is stuck on that treadmill of mediocrity, you know, the infamous treadmill of mediocrity. But they, I think they found something this year. DeJounte Murray has taken a huge step forward. 19 points a game, nine assists, eight rebounds, two steals. Um, efficiency, his efficiency from two is about the same as it was last year, and he's improved as a three-point shooter. I mean, is DeJounte Murray the only bright spot on this team right now? Um, I guess you could say that. 
like this team is just really weird right now because it seems like they have a different starting lineup like every night. Like I'm just now realizing that Keldon Johnson's coming off the bench apparently, which is kind of odd. Maybe that was just last night, but mm, I don't know. And it's just they do some weird things, and it's as we were talking about pre-pod. They have like a different best player every night. I mean, I think Dejounte is pretty consistently like their lead dog, but you have no idea who's going to be awesome. Like, I think it was the um, Nets game that my boy Lonnie Walker was going off. Yes, it was 25 points. I, I can't quit Lonnie Walker. I just can't. Okay. He, I, I know that he's like, I'm trying to think of a good comparison, but I guess maybe J.R. Smith. I don't know if that's the, the perfect comparison, but I mean, he was unbelievable at the end of this game and like, they still lost very close, but he was the go-to guy. DeJounte Murray was not the go-to guy. It was Lonnie Walker. And he had 25 points. And there's just there's some games where he gets ahead of steam and you cannot stop him when he's going to the rim. And, of course, he's a good shooter too. And that's what's kind of fun about this team is that Lonnie Walker could be horrible or he could be the best player on your team. <laughs> like You just have no idea what you're getting. And... You know, it hasn't really translated to many wins lately, but it's it's an interesting team. I mean, Jakob Pertl, I think, has been really good, much better than last year. I mean, we talked about it last year. Once he started, like once he came off the bench and was starting, it just wasn't the same. He was really good off the bench, and then he starts, and his defense was just horrendous last year. And this year, I mean, I think he's been much better. He's definitely fit into that role a lot better. So that's been a positive, but he's still like kind of like an average center. Like he's Cody Zeller, you know, like you don't, it's not like he's the worst center in the league, but he's not changing the the world for you. And like, really, that's kind of how the rest of this team is too. Like Keita beats Diop at times, reminds me of Thad Young. I look at him, I'm like, oh my God, that young, good, good, good stuff. It's like, oh, it's Bates Diop, uh, which I love to see because I like to see my Big Ten guys thrive, you know. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a bunch of players on this team that I don't even have never heard of before. Like, is it is it Jack Landale? Is that the guy's name? It's Jock. Jack Landale. Jock Landale is, is the most Spurs player ever. I mean, who the hell names their son Jock, first of all? I'm sure that's not his real name. (laughs) I'll have to do some investigation, but this game, he hit two threes in this game, and I think they were both in crunch time. It's like fucking random player from St. Mary's is hitting crunch time threes for the Spurs. Just the, the, the story never changes. It's just different characters, but... I don't know. There, there's just a lot of weird stuff going on. I'm really thankful that Drew Eubanks isn't playing. I just, I just hate looking at his face. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. I, I, I really hate to be mean, but God, he's just really tough on the eyes. And that's from a basketball standpoint and just a life standpoint. So this team is kind of a mess, but it's like a fun mess. You know, they're going to end up making the play in no matter what. So 
it's just kind of like hook yourself into the roller coaster and, and see what it's got for you. Yeah, this team has like an, a magnetic attraction to the 10 seed. I don't know what it is. I feel like they've been the 10 seed each of the last three years and they're they're just not good. <laughs> like they're they're fine. But in terms of like all the teams gunning for the play in right now, I trust them the most. I trust them over Sacramento and I think Portland's going to fall out in a major way. <laughs> so that means... I mean, you were talking about before the pod, you thought Oklahoma City might finish closer to the play-in than, like, Portland will, and I think that's pretty much guaranteed now after Dame goes down. I Like, there's stuff to like from this team. You brought up Pirtle. I think he's a little better than Cody Zeller. Like, Cody Zeller in his prime was a underrated center. I'd say he's... I Like, he's more like what people think Mason Plumley is. I would say without the like without the skill on offense, Pirtle is not skilled at all on offense, but he is very good on defense. Um, really good rim protector. Like there was some plays at the rim that he was guarding Harden on just the way like he can test shots. He's a really good rim protector and you know, they don't make in season trades, but if they were trying to sell, I, I could see them getting a good price for Pirtle. He's really good. Like, if the Hornets were like, hey, you want P.J. Washington? I don't think P.J. Washington's a spur player. But, (laughs) you know, just something like that to that effect where you just get something useful for Pirtle. Like, he's been really good. And obviously, my boy Keldon, we didn't see him much this week. But 15 points a game on 44% shooting from three (laughs) and six and a half rebounds. He's going to be a guy to watch for the future. I think the only two keepers on this team are DeJounte and Keldon. And then maybe you consider keeping Vassell. I you, they got to trade one of these guys though, and I think Lonnie Walker could really use a change of scenery. Like I want to see him because you're right; he's a really intriguing prospect to me. I want to see him with more freedom. A guy that I was really interested in watching against the Nets was Josh Primo. He was pretty good against the Nets for an 18 year old. He had like he needs to work on like his first step. He needs to work on like some of that, you know, handle stuff. But I think once he gets that down, I think he'll be a really good player. He's just really young. So we might not see that for another like two or three years. I like, there's stuff to work with on this team, but Dylan, if we go back and do like a top 100 at the end of the year, I think DeJounte's the only guy on this team making the top 100 with Pirtle, like on the very outside looking in. Yeah, I think that's right. And and I'm happy to see this happening for him because he's been a guy that people have really liked for a long time. I mean, when he came out of Washington, was he the last pick in the first round or he was down there? He was the 29th or 30th pick, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And as soon as he got drafted by the Spurs, and the same exact thing happened with Derek White, by the way, but... As soon as he got drafted by the Spurs, it was like, oh, here we go. Like, they're going to turn him into a superstar. And we talked about this a lot, but when I watched them last year, I'm like, this guy just reminds me of DeMar so much in his shot selection. And obviously, it was really easy to kind of discern that when you're actually watching both of them play at the same time. (laughs) And this year, now they're both separated, obviously. And I think we're still seeing that with Murray where he just knows his shot. He gets, he gets around the paint or he gets to the rim and he's going to put it in. He's not going to force the three because he knows he's not good at it. 
and, and sometimes he'll force it. Like sometimes he'll put some put too many threes up, and that's fine. It's just kind of how the game goes nowadays. But most of the time, he's getting the shots that he knows he can make. And man, that dude on defense is so good. Like that Boston game, you really could tell. And again, Boston makes it really easy for good defensive players to succeed because they know exactly where the ball is going to be. But DeJounte was giving Tatum hell at times. I mean, he he was really giving him a tough time, and that's always fun to see because, you know, when players become better on offense, the, the defense starts to lack. Like, it's just amazing to think that Bradley Beal was, like, once one of the better defend, uh, perimeter defenders in the league. I mean, when John Wall was there, he was an awesome defender. And now he just doesn't even try on defense. <laughs> And that's not even surprising. Like, that just kind of happens when you become a better offensive player. You just don't have the energy to expend on defense anymore. So it's good to see Murray stay kind of grounded as a defensive player. And, of course, you know, his his wingspan makes it a lot easier for him to stay a good defender. But he's still got the activity level. And it's going to be fun to see them try to build around him more. And it's going to be interesting to see, like, who moves. Like, I really see Lonnie Walker as, like, a Malik Monk type of guy where Malik Monk has been pretty damn good for the Lakers this season. And it's because he's got a lot more opportunity than he ever did in Charlotte. And I would like to see Walker on a team where – I can't think off the top of my head, like, what a good team would be. But where he's he's playing with some – some talented players, but they just need a little bit more creativity. I could see him fitting in a team like that and really becoming more consistent. So you would think a trade is going to happen, but as you mentioned, midseason trades aren't really their thing. So who knows? But I mean, it's the Spurs. Like they're always better than we think, but they're still obviously not good enough to really be too competitive. Exactly. And I, I want to make one last point on DeJounte before we close. So this like DeJounte has been taking a lot of shots, right? Like he's the clear number one option there. And he like hasn't been the furthest thing from a patient. But despite all the defensive attention he's getting, he's shooting 39.9% on pull-ups. And I think that's really something to monitor going forward. Like if he's on a better team or if the Spurs actually add some fucking talent to this team that his jump shot, like his mid range jumper is really good. It just hasn't been good this year because he's been golfed. Like he's taking really hard shots. Like he's the guy on this team that creates something out of nothing. And you brought up the DeMar element of it. That's when he'll be like at the peak DeJounte Murray is when like, why is DeMar thriving this year? It's because he has space around him, right? Like Alonzo is there. Zach Levine is there. Um, Vucevic is there, you know, Javante green. They are doing a really good job of giving DeMar space on the perimeter where he can open up his game and thrive in the mid range area. And last year, right? Last year, DeJounte was 44% from mid range. And coincidentally, he had DeMar DeRozan on his team where <laughs> that's still all. He took 540 mid-range attempts last year, which is a lot in 67 games. This year, he's at 335 attempts in 36 games. So that means he's taking 10 mid-ranges a game pretty much. And I think once he's like surrounded by better players, he's going to be in an area where he can you know, thrive. And I think he, it'll be really good for him. <laughs> 
Yeah. And, and that's, that's really what I hope happens. And like, again, to keep up with the DeMar comparison, like what year is DeMar in right now? And he's just now kind of hitting an offensive peak. I mean, this dude's been around for a long time. Like what was he drafted in like 2012 or Mario was, was drafted in 09. He was oh, in yeah. draft class. That's right. Yeah. So he's been around even longer than I thought. I mean, this dude is, is in the double digits at this point, and he's just now hitting his offensive ceiling. So I think being patient with DeJounte is going to be important because it's going to take the right cast of players. But it's good to see the growth we've seen already and that he seems pretty willing to take on such a big offensive load and maintain his defensive status as well. So I really hope the Spurs get it right. And we keep talking about pop retiring, but I don't know. It's probably time we shut down that conversation. Maybe, you know, hopefully he sees something in DeJounte and and wants to keep this going and keeps putting good players around him because I really think he can be, you know, the source of a really, really solid two-way team. I think so too. And I think that's a good place to wrap up Spurs coverage. Um, it's time for shameless plugs. Make sure you listen to Linsanity this week. They went hardcore on Get the Sack. Now, Coley, I believe, was fired after they recorded yesterday. So they didn't get to that one. But everyone else was fired before then. Um, Dylan, who was your favorite coach firing before we move on to the rest of the plugs? <sighs> I mean... It's tough. There was a lot of good ones. I think Vic Fangio probably deserved it. Like it, that one made the most sense of like the decent teams because they have so much damn talent on that team. And Vic Fangio was never really that great of a hire from the beginning. I think he's just an old timer. And I mean, if you just look at that roster, like they're stacked on defense, even after the Von Miller trade. They have probably one of the best receiving cores in the league, and they have two awesome running backs. And, you know, what they, I guess they ended up finishing last in that division because that division was so good. But it's that was, that was a, there's, there's a lot of good firings to pick between. But Vic Fangio, I think personally for me, uh, was, was a big one because the Broncos should have been so much better. They should have been. They should go after Brian Flores. They should be the obvious Brian Flores team. What a fucking joke. <laughs> like, seriously. That team had no expectations. And, yeah, they missed the playoffs the last two years, but they were really close. Their roster was ass. I, I don't know. That wasn't on Flores to me. That was on Chris Greer. But, hey, what do I know? I'm just a, I'm just a guy with a microphone. Um, so make sure you check out that Linsanity. Um, Zach and Bryce are doing uh, Not Mandalorian, the Book of Boba Fett every week. So you're going to want to check that out if you're watching Book of Boba Fett. I have not been watching Book of Boba Fett. So Bryce, Zach, this is my admission that I will not listen because I will not spoil a show for myself that I might want to watch in the future. So um, any news on the Divine Rhyme, Dylan? No, man. This is just uh, this is a, a, a fluid situation. Uh, I'm just letting the wind blow wherever it blows. That's where it blows us. So understandable. Well, in the meantime, while you're not listening to Dylan's other podcast, you can buy, you can buy Dylan's book. What's the name of your book, Dylan? I think I'm, I'm ready to get back new year, new threats, <laughs> no pressure, finding happiness in a fear driven world. And listen, if you don't buy this book, 
I will go to your house and I will pour salt on your lawn. Okay. And what if, what if you say, I, I have an apartment, I don't have a lawn. Well then I'll throw salt on your plants. Like I'm sure you have potted plants. If you're listening to this, I bet you either have potted plants or a lawn. So I will throw salt in your potted plants. It won't be as devastating, but I'm going to ruin your soil. You're going to have to get new soil. It's going to be very expensive if you own a house. Admittedly, this is not a very good plan, a very good threat if you own an apartment. (laughs) But Dylan, I think I'm affecting our homeowners. Hopefully they will buy no pressure finding happiness in a fear-driven world. I mean, I think for apartment owners, you can do a lot more damage with salt. Um, So we'll have to craft up something more more damaging than that so uh you know keep keep an ear out for that but in the meantime just go ahead and buy it and save yourself the hassle (laughs) exactly exactly that's what i'll do i'll buy all the salt so that way the apartment owners can't buy any and ice out their cars (laughs) hey hey we experienced last saturday what what an icy situation is like with no salt and boy you do not want to deal with that one you do not that is dylan is very right there um, I'm trying to think what else do I have to plug? I think that's about it. Uh, yeah, make sure you check out next week. Our teams for next week, I should say that. Our teams for next week are the Jazz, the Kings, and the Bulls. So we're going to have, you know, one enjoyable team. I'll be curious to watch the Kings. I haven't watched them in a while. It feels like we watch the same teams every week. We It feels like we've had a Grizzlies game every week, <laughs> which I'm not complaining about, but we've watched a lot of Grizzlies this year. <laughs> so I'll be curious to see. Hopefully we get some, like, you know, not Blazers. I don't want to watch any more Blazers games, but, like, hopefully we get some, like, magic thrown in there. Hopefully we get some, like, I don't What's the team that we haven't watched lately, Bill? And I, I don't even know. <laughs> I haven't watched the Hornets in, like, a decade. Oh, so I would, yeah. I would love to see them. I haven't watched Philly in a while either. Well, I don't really care to watch Philly, but you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. I'm, we watched a lot of, we've seen a couple Bulls games, I feel like, but that was yeah. actually, no, we, we haven't. Cause they're seen Cleveland a decent amount. We haven't seen Toronto in a while. Yeah. I haven't watched them since we did the, since we did Raptors week. So there's, there's a lot. I haven't seen Phoenix in a while. I don't think. There's a, there's a lot. There's a lot of teams I haven't seen. So it's going to be good. Hopefully we can mix things up a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully we get some new teams. Dylan Hughes, this was an awesome episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you.